Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. The show you are about to hear was originally recorded on a video interview. If you'd like to watch the entire interview, you can do so by going to IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com and looking under the Tamar Yona shows. Alternately, you can go to Rumble.com and you can subscribe to us there at Rumble.com slash user slash INTR. You can be part of our virtual studio audience as we record our interviews live. Every Tuesday, 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Israel Time. We'd love to have you with us. Welcome to the Tamar Yona Show on video. Today's topic, I've been here before, a book about reincarnation and the Holocaust. Our guest today, Sarah Yocheved Rigler, is an author and international lecturer on the subject of Jewish spirituality and practical tools for spiritual growth. She's authored several books on the subject, and with good reason, she's had a fascinating life. Growing up in America's 1960s, traveling to India, and learning Hindu philosophy and mysticism with a guru. Then, back to the U.S., where she earned her degree in psychology from Brandeis University, graduating Phi Beta Kappa and Magnum Cum Laude. She spent the next 15 years living in America's oldest ashram, where she both practiced and taught Vedanta philosophy and meditation. In 1985, she made a dramatic change in her spiritual path. She moved to Jerusalem, began studying Torah, became a highly committed observant Jew. Later, she married, had children, and for the past 36 years has been teaching and writing inside the old city walls of Jerusalem. She's a regular columnist for Torah's.com and many other publications. Her latest book is Making Waves, and it's entitled, I've Been Here Before, a book about reincarnation and the Holocaust. So now over to Tamar Yona and Sarah Yocheved Rigler. Well, welcome to the Tamar Yona, to, to the Tamar Yona show. It's great to have you on. I've been looking forward to this interview. Um, I wanted to ask you first, this is a very, um, many people might say provocative book because it talks about reincarnation, which the Torah doesn't really mention, but there are sources in Judaism, especially in uh, the Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism, which talks about Gilgul Nishamot, which is the um, re- reincarnation of souls. So what, what was the reason that you wrote this book? We'll be right back after the break. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then The Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries, and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date. There are sources in Judaism, especially in uh, the Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism, which talks about Gilgul, Gilgul Nishamot, which is the um, re- reincarnation of souls. So what, what was the reason that you wrote this book? I wrote the book because uh, this was my passion. Even as a child, 
growing up to second, Amer- second generation American parents in New Jersey. I was born on the Jersey side of the Delaware River, really a suburb of Philadelphia. And um, my parents, we had no direct connection to the Holocaust. Like all Ashkenazi Jewish families, we must have lost people back in the old country. But my my grandparents had come, so they came at like the turn of the 20th century. They weren't in touch anymore with people. So we, we never talked about the Holocaust. But I was always obsessed, obsessed with the Holocaust. I just had this seething hatred of everything German, wouldn't buy German products, would not take a ride in a Volkswagen. My mother didn't drive, so I often took rides, but never in a Volkswagen or a German car. And just had this, uh, when my father got a German camera, I told him he couldn't take my picture with it. And this, uh, this obsession really uh, was a shadow over my childhood. Um, strangely enough, when I was 14 years old and uh, freshman in high school, we had to choose a, a foreign language to study. So all my friends chose French or Spanish. And I surprised all my friends by choosing German. And they said, well, you hate German. Why are you choosing German? And I said, um, know thine enemy. I want to read Mein Kampf in the original. I mean, I was really, really obsessed. And uh, one week into studying German, literally having had like two language labs saying, Guten Tag, Fräulein Hest. I woke up one night like, like this. I had, I was dreaming in fluent German. And like this didn't make any sense to me. I had no idea of reincarnation, never learned about it in Hebrew school, of course. And um, didn't know what to make of it. And then on my way back from India at the age of 21, uh, I had a stopover in Vienna. I wouldn't let the airlines put me, you know, put me, I was going from Tel Aviv to Stockholm. They wanted to give me a, a layover to change planes in Frankfurt. I said, no, I will not go to Germany. And, but I let them, stupidly, I let them put me through Vienna, not realizing, of course, that uh, Hitler was born in Austria. And, um, and while I had this seven-hour layover in Vienna, and I went into a residential neighborhood and was just walking around, like, looking at the place from an anthropological, anthropological point of view, I suddenly had a flashback. A flashback is people who have post-traumatic stress often have flashbacks. A flashback is not like a memory. Memory's in your head. A flashback, you are in the memory, like you're reliving the experience, and it was frightening. And I realized, I don't know what this is, but it's something. This is something very real. And then, of course, when I learned about reincarnation, then suddenly everything made sense. So I had this, this secret that I wouldn't talk about because, you know, I saw myself as an intellectual, and I wouldn't talk about something that people would think I was weird. But sitting on this couch right behind us here in my house in the old city, about 10 years ago, I was speaking to my friend, Hanasar Zeller, and, uh, and I confided in her my secret that I think I'm a reincarnated soul from the Holocaust. And she said to me, so am I. And she started to tell me about that when she was a child, also second generation American parents, no Holocaust survivors or non-survivors in the family. Uh, her mother would put her to bed. She was four. She was about four years old. She remembers this. She would be looking at her pillow, and she would see this scene on the pillow of 
of um, the back of a truck, women standing in the back of a truck. And some of the women were collapsing onto the floor. And, you know, then she saw herself flying out of the truck. And then she said, now I'm free. Well, this like made no sense at all to this four-year-old child until decades later, she learned that the Nazis' earliest experiment in mass murder was to pipe carbon monoxide gas from the motor of the truck into the back of the truck to kill people. So then it made sense. And when she told me that she also must have been a uh, reincarnated soul of the Holocaust. I started talking to my other friends here in Jerusalem, all of us Americans living in Jerusalem. And, um, you know, my age, having been born within a decade, decade and a half of the Holocaust, and um, all my friends had reason to believe that they're ho- reincarnated souls from the Holocaust. Each one had a unique experience that started occurring to them when they were children before, of course, in those days, it wasn't even a question of before they saw any Holocaust movies or read any Holocaust books. There were no Holocaust movies. We're talking about the early fifties. There were no Holocaust movies and very, very few Holocaust books. So these inexplicable experiences made people, the only way people could figure them out was to believe that, uh, you know, that they must have been there in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you decide to write this book and you find, you put a letter out there saying, if anybody has had similar experiences to contact you and you gathered a lot of these stories together and that is the bulk of your book. Well, it wasn't exactly a letter. I wrote an article for Ami magazine and another article for H.com. The editor of H.com refused to let me write about it for years uh, you know, it's like he would just as soon have articles about flying saucers and fairies as he would about reincarnation. You know, we're not weird. And but then I found I was lecturing in Chile and the rabbi who brought me told me that he just read in Scientific American online an article about uh, reincarnation where the author, who was some kind of a professor, like admitted that he's not willing to accept the the research that has been done by Professor Ian Stevenson on reincarnation was because of his own like, materialistic framework that there can't, you know, there can't be this thing. He wasn't willing to look at the evidence. And when this article appeared in the Scientific American, my editor at H.com, Rabbi Nehemiah Coopersmith, finally decided he couldn't be more, couldn't be more religious than the Pope and he couldn't be more scientific than Scientific American. And he finally let me write an article. And from that article, I got scores of emails saying, me too. Yes, yes, I've always felt that. I've always wondered about my dreams. I've always wondered about my experiences. And from that, I made an online survey. And uh, 450 people filled in my online survey. Um, if, if a person had a Holocaust dream, a person growing up in some, you know, some place in the deep south, in a non-Jewish family, had a Holocaust dream, like, like, where did that come from? And looked up uh, reincarnation and the Holocaust, they got to my survey. So in the end, I got over 450 uh, people who filled in the survey before the book was published. Now, since the book's published, I'm getting hundreds more. But, of uh, you know, there are, this is a major phenomenon, Tamar. This is a widespread phenomenon that people didn't talk about. Hmm. 
So, you know, I mean, I can remember twice in my life when I've had a feeling that I was in a place before when I went to go visit Warsaw, even though my father is from Ludge, Poland, uh, and I went to the cemetery where his father is buried and his grandfather and his great grandfather, etc. And I didn't get any special feeling there. But I went when I went to the Warsaw Cemetery, I had a feeling like I used to live in this area and I had pleasant feelings. I must have had, must have been living in a different time than the Holocaust. If this feeling was true, that's just a supposing, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I felt like I had a good life and I, and I had a very warm feeling there. And I don't know why I had that. And there was another time when I was in Hebron and it was not at the Marata Machpelah, which is the cave of the patriarchs in English, but it was in the Avraham Avinu, the Abraham, our father synagogue. I was sitting there and I felt like I had been here before and uh, an- another wonderful, good feeling of good memories. But it's funny because when I go to the Marata Machpelah, I always feel like these like busy, busy energies. And, and it makes me very uncomfortable. You know, it's, I, I, I actually don't like going so much to Marata Machpelah, but uh, the Avram Avinu synagogue, I felt like I could just sit there in the quiet for hours. And, and I was just at peace. It was just a strange feeling, but I've never had any memories of actually having another life. And, and on that, uh, I want to follow up with the question that I have to ask you. Yeah, I'd like to comment on what you okay. on your um, two okay. experiences of deja vu. I discussed deja vu in, in the um, in, in the book. Mm-hmm. Deja vu. People have deja vu experiences. Science cannot explain them. There is a, a, a scientist, Dr. Judith Orloff, uh, on the staff of UCLA uh, Medical Center, and she she talks about deja vu as being an authentic. She, she, she talks about intuition and how people like ignore intuition, but in fact, researchers at Harvard have found that there's a, a parallel nervous system, the intuitive nervous system. I mentioned it in the book. And, uh, and deja vu experiences, Judith, Dr. Judith Orloff holds, are actual experiences of reminiscences of past lives. I've had uh, several people who told me, like they went to Europe, they went to... Uh, you know, this, you know, Auschwitz and this one, that one, like they felt what any normal person would feel, of course. And then they went to like Theresienstadt and then Theresienstadt, like they fainted. It was like too much. Like they couldn't empty you. Like why, you know, why not Auschwitz or all the other five camps they went to and suddenly Theresienstadt just like hits them and they have like a total panic attack. So I think that is a sign of having a past life. We'll be right back after the break. Hi, everyone. This is Andrea Simento from Jerusalem, inviting you to drop everything and join me on my show, Pull Up a Chair. We'll visit this week's quirky stories, meet fabulous guests, and discover my Israel. Together, we'll laugh, shout, and explain the topics that make us say, hey, we've got to talk about that. So get comfortable and pull up a chair with me, Andrea Simento, every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. 
And deja vu experiences, Judith, Dr. Judith Orloff holds, are actual experiences of reminiscences of past lives. I've had uh, several people who told me, like they went to Europe, they went to, uh, you know, this, you know, Auschwitz and this one, that one, that. like they felt what any normal person would feel, of course. And then they went to like Theresienstadt. And then Theresienstadt, like they fainted. It was like too much, like they couldn't empty you. Like, why? You know, why not ask to switch all the other five camps they went to? And suddenly, Teresa Stutt just like hits them and they have like a total panic attack. Hmm. So, I think that is a sign of having a past life. So, and, you're saying that these are not just feelings, but that they're actual flashbacks? Is that what you're, you're saying? No, a flashback would be more and more intense. I would think so. Right. Mm-hmm. But just that feeling like, I know this place before. I have this is a, a young man. Who got in touch with me? Um, who actually, it's strange, is born in the same place I was, Camden, New Jersey, but he was living in Peru and he, he had a very interesting story, but a very intuitive person. He told me that when he uh, first went to Peru, he was went to Lima, he was living in Lima for a, a couple of years, and then he decided to take a boat to this place on the Amazon River that is the largest city in the world that cannot be reached by road. You have to go either by boat or by plane. They're in the Amazon. I forget the name of the city. It's, his story is in my book. And um, he, he they, the boat got to this city where everybody was going and, uh, and announced, okay, this is, this is, the, uh, this is the, the dock. We're getting off now here at, at the... Uh, for this city. And he said, no, it isn't. This is not the place where, this is not, this is not the pier. This is not the land. This is not the place for the, uh, the, the, the place where you land, where you, where the boat docks for, for, to go to this city. But everybody else was getting off the boat. So we did. So he got off and he took like, you know, whatever transport they had into the city, which was uh, two miles away. And then when they got into the city, he asked the local, he said, you know, they took us to all this harbor that, you know, is, could there be another harbor? And the, and the locals said, yes, yes. Just a few blocks away, there's the, the old harbor, but, you know, they built the new one a few years ago. And he, and he said he had like a map of the entire city as if it was on his hand. He, could, he took the other people in his tour group around the whole city, having never been there before, you know, without a map because he apparently had been there before in a previous life. Hmm. Okay, so I I have to ask you this question just, you know, to, to play a little bit of devil's advocate. And that is the people that you've talked to it and you've used their stories because you're trying to present a case. Um, how do you know that they're telling you the truth? And before you answer that, I want you to ask me um, if I believe in reincarnation. Ask me. <laughs> Tamar, do you believe in reincarnation? No, but I did in my past life. <laughs> okay. All right. So in any case, um, really, how do you know that people don't just want, you know, attention or, you know, they're taking a ride on you or whatever? How, how, how do you know that their stories are authentic? This, this is a valid question to ask. It's in my brother, who's a retired physician in, in, uh, in New Jersey says that he doesn't believe in reincarnation because everybody thinks they're Julius Caesar. So obviously nobody in this book 
there was, there was no motive of self-aggrandizement. All the people died horrible deaths, naked in pits, gas chambers, terrible deaths. There's no, and most of the people wouldn't let me use their names. So there wasn't like, well, I'll tell them my story will be in a book because over half the people wouldn't let me use their name. So they have no motive for this. You know, they get nothing from it. They get nothing from making up this story. Also, the stories are very, very unique. There's no, like, I thought, you know, I hear just loads of stories of cattle cars and gas chambers. I have a few cattle car and gas chamber stories, but but very few. Most of them, very unique stories. Each one, you know, this one in a ghetto, this one running away from this one, this one hiding in a, you know, underneath the ground, this one, like, very unique. There's There's no motive for notoriety because they wouldn't let me use their names. And, and also they were very like embarrassed to even be admitting to uh, the stories that they shared with me. This is a phenomenon where people, you know, they are embarrassed to talk about it. They, they think that, you know, if they admit to it, they're going to be deemed weird. They don't want to. They, people don't want to have these memories. They don't want to have these dreams, but they do. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think is the purpose that people are remembering their past life? So first of all, very few people do remember their past life and they're not supposed to. They're supposed to be, uh, a, and I want to mention, you had said about, you know, the Torah doesn't talk about it. The whole first half of chapter two of my book discusses the Jewish view of reincarnation. According to the Ramban, the, uh, you know, it was, it is mentioned in the Torah very discreetly. I mean, the whole idea of so, the love of Kabbalah is so, so, so means secret. You don't talk about it. <laughs> so until the Arizal started talking, the Abarbanel, who of course lived in uh, well, the 15th century, he, he wrote that, uh, you know, the discussion of reincarnation should not be so, it shouldn't be a secret, but it was. And, um, I mean, he believed in it and wanted to discuss it openly, but it was very much sowed until the Arizal came out and sort of talked about, and, you know, Gil, Sharha Gilgalim very explicitly talks about uh, reincarnation. And then the, um, the uh, Hasidic, the Baal Shem Tov, many stories explaining, using reincarnation to explain how a good God could permit suffering. You know, the, the couple who's waited for, many years for a child and finally has a baby and then the baby dies right after its circumcision, you know, and the, and the, the Balsham Tobit explained that it was because da, 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 that this child wanted, was a, the child, the soul of a holy convert who just wanted to come back and have a circumcision on the eighth day, etc. And of course the Graal uh, took reincarnation as a given. So I always laugh when Orthodox, usually it's Orthodox men, I've never heard an Orthodox woman say, but Orthodox men would say, oh, you know, I don't believe in reincarnation. And I, I wonder, you know, well, what stream of Orthodox Judaism do you believe in? Are you part of? Because either you're Hasidic or you're a Litvak. And both the, unless you're Sephardi, of course. And, well, and both the Sephardim, the Litvaks, you know, the Vilna Gron followers, Vilna Gron followers and the uh, Hasidim, they all take, you know, reincarnation is a given. So what stream of Orthodox Judaism doesn't believe in it. I'll tell you what stream doesn't believe in it. The stream of Judaism that was so afraid of seem, seeming unscientific 
and unmaterial science oriented, then starting with the Haskalah, the enlightenment, they're the ones who don't believe in reincarnation. But from Jews believe in reincarnation. Well, you know, it makes it makes sense. Um, I mean, I think it makes sense. And uh, one of the explanations is, is that a soul, what it doesn't complete in one lifetime is given the opportunity in another lifetime to be able oh, to improve. Exactly, itself. exactly. Let me share that with you. That's exactly what the Ramhal, and is there any Orthodox Jew who doesn't hold by the Ramhal? The Ramhal uh, wrote in Derech Hashem. I mean, is anybody that doesn't hold by Derech Hashem? That um, exactly that means like what is the what is the rationale for reincarnation? This is like extremely important uh, quote from the, from Derek from Derek Hashem. This is my book. He wrote, "God arranged matters so that man's chances of achieving ultimate salvation should be maximized. A single soul can be reincarnated a number of times in different bodies." And in this manner, it can rectify the damage done in previous incarnations. Similarly, it can also achieve perfection that was not attained in its previous incarnations. So there you have it. That's why people reincarnate. There you go. All right. Let's, um, I had asked you the question before, what would be the purpose for people to remember? And so uh, you have a chapter in your book uh, called mysterious fears and phobias and we've all maybe seen movies or read books about how people have gone to their psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever gotten hypnotized to understand why they're afraid of heights or why they're afraid of water and sometimes they can regress them this is i'm just giving these stories i don't know if, uh, how you know, scientific it is, but um, to to try to find out where they might have had this phobia, and once they learn, oh, it was from a past life because they drowned in a past life, they were able to get over it in this life. Do you want to comment on any of that? Is it true, not true? Your your feelings? Well, I'd like to comment on everything, including what I didn't answer before about people remembering or not remembering. People are not supposed to remember. There's supposed to be a very thick curtain between lives that's the way it's supposed to be because everything we have to work on in this lifetime Hashem gives us to work on we don't have to remember our past lives and it's and it's it interferes our past lives should not interfere in our present life however why are there so many hundreds and hundreds of people who are coming forward you know who remember the holocaust because Miriam Adahan Dr. Miriam Adahan uh, who was born in 1943 in Chicago she had a lot of Holocaust dreams and things. And she went to a Mikubal, a Kabbalist, who told her the problem is you came back too soon. And the solution is like, look forward, don't look back. So I think that there's two reasons why so many people in our generation remember the Holocaust from their past life. One is we came back too soon. You know, I was born in 1948. Most of the people who answered my survey were born within a decade of the Holocaust or a decade and a half of the Holocaust. It was too soon. You're not supposed to come back that soon. You're supposed to have a long space between lives. However, why did we come back so soon? Because Mashiach is coming. We don't want to miss it. And so we, uh, we wanted to come back right away. We'll be right back after the break.
Shalom, I'm Leah Aharoni. Join me on my show, News from the Torah. Each Sunday, we'll use the weekly Torah portion as a prism for understanding the news today. Listen to News from the Torah to gain clarity about the times we're living in and to understand your own spiritual path in the process. News from the Torah every Sunday on Israel News Talk Radio. You know, I was born in 1948. Most of the people who answered my survey were born within a decade of the Holocaust or a decade and a half of the Holocaust. It was too soon. You're not supposed to come back that soon. You're supposed to have a long space between lives. However, why did we come back so soon? Because Mashiach is coming and we don't want to miss it. And so we, uh, we wanted to come back right away so that we'd be here I mean, I live here in the old city in the reborn state of Israel. I was born in 1948. I wanted to be here to see the redemption, you know, and uh, so I came back. But you could have been um, born 20 years later and still be here. 20 years later, you'd still have, there are people born 20 years later who still have Holocaust dreams. and uh, mm-hmm, Right. So, so that's why I'm saying like, so why were you born early if you could have been born 20 years later and still be here for? You could have born 20 years later, so, but people should have like a rest of a hundred years or so between. So like, is God making a mistake then that, that no, no, came back too no, early? No, God does not make mistakes. Right. So but I Because the redemption is coming. He, he has given us a chance to, we have to fix what we need to fix. Look, a big problem that people have is well, they thought that every Jew who died in the Holocaust went up to this very high level, Kadoshim, and why should they have to come back? Why do they have nothing to fix? It's not true. They might be Kadoshim, but people have what they have to fix. People who have anger problems have anger problems. Being dying in the Holocaust doesn't fix it. And especially, and this I saw so much in my research, especially so many Jews being tortured, tortured as we know, tortured in every possible way because they were Jews. When they died in the Holocaust, they died not wanting to be Jewish. I have one man who, who uh, one of my first stories that came to me, somebody knew him and told me about the story and I interviewed him. He lives in Israel now. He was born into a non-Jewish family in, uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. Talk about places where there aren't any Jews. And uh, nothing. And uh, he was 21 years old and he went into a Barnes and Nobles and bought a book about six different kinds of mysticism. One of those kinds of mysticism was uh, Kabbalah. So he read the book and then he started having dreams. And then this became a recurring dream. By the way, the, when people in my book have dreams, they have recurring dreams. It's not like one time. And uh, he had this recurring dream. So the first part of the recurring dream, he saw himself with like long side locks and a beard. And he was a scribe and he was writing in some language in a scroll. And he would wake up and he would, and he, the thing that would, like, he thought was crazy was that he saw himself putting crowns on letters in this scroll. Hmm. And crowns on And he'd wake up and he'd say, that's crazy. Who would put crowns on letters? Well, of course, we put crowns on letters. You know, our soap, we put crowns on letters right. in, in the holy writing. But the other part of his dream, recurring dream, was that he saw himself in the gas chambers and he was angry at God. And he said to God, after all I did to make sure that my children marry Jewish, this is what you do to me? I wish I wasn't even Jewish. 
That's how his dream ended. And then, presto, Omaha, Nebraska. So I think there are many Jews like that who wish they weren't Jews. And I said, I have a whole chapter called Emergency Landings. A Jews, Jewish souls and non-Jewish bodies, people like him. So then, so then what did he have to do here? He's new Omaha, Nebraska, Christian family. Well, he, he found his way back to Judaism. It tells a little story, you know, in my book, he found his way back to Judaism, had an Orthodox conversion, Chicago based in, and, uh, and then you know, made Aliyah and lives here in Israel, Northern Israel. And of course is learning to become a sofa. But uh, the, there are many people who are born into non-Jewish families and literally, of course, conversion is difficult. It should be so. And, and they, so these people have to, these are Jewish souls who have to really work hard to become who they are, which is Jewish, because it was a choice they made. They didn't want to be Jewish. So Hashem, Hashem gives us, Rebison Heller, Rebison Heller Gottlieb, my Rebison, she says, spiritually, we get what we want. Physically, we get what Hashem knows is good for us. So if a soul doesn't want to be Jewish, Hashem says, fine, yeah, here you are, Alabama. <laughs> you know, I find that interesting because he said that, at least in his story, you know, he was being, he was being killed at that moment. And we, we often say things in time. I mean, even when a woman is uh, in childbirth and she makes a vow and says something, it, she's not held by her vow because we understand that she's going through a trauma right now. Uh, why don't, why wouldn't we give the same benefit of the doubt to someone who's has facing to bring, death? Tomorrow, she has to bring a sin offering. It's not like Hashem just says, Oh, you don't, your vow doesn't count. You know, Rashi says she has to bring a sin offering. Okay. So, but, but why is it harder? Why is it more stringent upon this man's declaration when he's about to die? Um, I'm just wondering. What you're asking is how can anybody in the Holocaust be responsible for the choices they make under such pressure? And I don't think that they can be. And I don't think Hashem holds people. Hashem doesn't punish people for being accountable. But the idea that Judaism, I mean, what they say to come, what the rabbis say to converts, what they're required to say to convert, prospective converts. You know, Jews are persecuted. <laughs> Why would you want to, you know, enter a religion where you would right. likelihood you're going to be persecuted? A Jew has to be able to say, I want to be a Jew. It's such a privilege to be a Jew. It is such a, it is such a holy mission to be a Jew. That, I mean, most Jews who died in the Holocaust, even under such terrible torture, did not wish they weren't Jewish. Most Jews were like, thank God I'm not them. If I had a choice between being the, the perpetrator or the victim, I'd rather be the victor. Most Jews made that choice. But apparently, uh, for some, some Jews, maybe deep down, you know, they never liked being Jewish. <laughs> I don't know. Of all the interviews that you did, which was your favorite and why? I have lots of favorites because the book has so many like amazing stories. But um, my favorites, I guess, are the ones that have to do with tikkun. Because the purpose of life is tikkun, tikkun atzmei, fixing ourselves, rectifying ourselves. I spent 16 years in a Musravad with Rav Leib Kalaman, who's a 
uh, Talmud of Rav Shlomo Wolba, that's all. And uh, I very much see the purpose of life as tikkun, of working on yourself. So the second, not the second half, but the second section of the book, it's the last third of the book, is about tikkun and, uh, and victories, rec- vanquishing the demons of the past. And I love the stories about how people worked on themselves to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to uh, overcome their limitations. And their, sometimes it's a matter of a, a bad mito. People who are timid and fearful, learning to become courageous. There's a story in there of a, a woman, like a kind of timid woman who uh, had mamash panic attacks when she was about to get on a plane. She thought she was getting standing in line on the plane triggered a feeling of standing in line to get into the gas chambers. She thought, she thought the inside of the plane was like a gas chamber. She had to travel a lot for a certain reason. And, uh, and then she tells how she had to face, came face to face with an actual German anti-Semite who didn't realize she was Jewish and started spouting like terrible things about the Jews. And she had, you know, she had this opportunity to either be courageous and stand up for her people or to go with her personality, which was kind of like slink back and be timid. And she chose to be courageous and stand up for her people. That, that is a, that's a, such a victory story. I love the victory stories. Um, and of course, the great, great victory story is the uh, last one in that chapter, Yael Shahar, who wrote her own wonderful book called Returning, who was a, um, a girl in Texas also a non-Jewish family, 16 years old, 14 years old, turned on the radio, like she was into training horses and heard this Jewish melody. And it was like, it just grabbed her. And like, she had to find out. So they said at the end of playing this melody, they said, you know, join our fundraising drive at Beth Israel. You know, such a, so she went and she ended up starting her Jewish journey, ended up getting converting when she was, as soon as she was allowed to convert, but at 18, ended up coming to Israel, ended up becoming a, uh, a um, counterterrorism expert and, uh, and um, was, was like a very brilliant person. So I know she, her. I you know, know her. Yes, yeah, she. Yes, because now, now I remember she. She was doing all the self defense and uh, survival stuff, and and uh, yes. yeah, I've interviewed her. She's very interconnected the Jewish people. Why? Yeah, I've, been, I've had her on my show. Even yes, yes, yes. She was a very young child in Texas in a non Jewish family with no exposure whatsoever to the Holocaust. She had recurrent like, every night these terrible, terrible dreams, and. She didn't believe they could be real, and later, of course, found out that these were. She was seeing scenes. She had the memories of a young man named Avadia Ben Avadia Ben Malka, who was a Sonder commando uh, in Auschwitz from Greece. What's what's the Jewish community in Greece? She had very specific horrible memories, and she didn't know what to do with them. And she went to a rabbi. This was an interview that we have adapted for audio listening. If you'd like to hear the entire interview, log on to our webpage at israelnewstalkradio.com and look for the video under the Tamar Yona Show.
You can be part of our live audience for our future interviews on video. Just send an email to info at israelnewstalkradio.com and we'll send you a registration link where you can register for free. We do our live video podcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time or 5 p.m. Israel Time. That's every Tuesday, 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Israel Time. Hope to see you there. You've been listening to the Tamar Yona Show here on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.